You you hit a three wood pretty well too. I, I remember. You hit your three wood pretty well. Yeah, that's true. You did. You did. <laughs> pro pro tip for for the audience out there: if you ever go golfing with Minoj and he starts to get frustrated at one of his clubs, just <laughs> offer to buy it from him right there. You know, like, hey, I'll give you twenty bucks for that cup. It's like I just want it out of my bag. It's a good investment. Buy things off me when I'm angry. You'll get them very cheap. Stupid three wood. I don't know why I bought it anyway. <laughs> I hate. Yeah, I hated that club. The views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. We can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Because I can hear you now. Were your headphones charged? Yes. I charged them specifically for this. Hey, I'm just going through the IT steps. There's yeah, a yeah, yeah. There's a checklist. It. There's a checklist for that. There there <laughs> certainly is. There's always a checklist. Did I ever, did I ever tell you the guys the story uh from my BMET days? I was at Andrews and we were we were the Merck location for like all the small bases in the Northeast. Right. And I got a call from Dover, you know, I was on call one weekend or, and I got a call from Dover and they were saying that their telemedicine cart was broken and they couldn't figure it out. It was a power issue or whatever. And I no kidding, like asked them at least three or four separate times. Like, is it plugged in? Is the power strip on? Is the computer on, you know, all these things. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to come out. So I drove from Andrews to Dover and the power strip wasn't on. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm like, click. All right. I'm, I'm heading back. Now that'll be $300. <laughs> oh, if I could, yeah, if I could charge. So it was like maybe like a two hour drive out to Dover from, uh, from Andrews. At least I was in a GOV. So I didn't have to use like my own gas, but mm. still. So did you read the book this time? Yes, actually, I read. Hey, I was. I. I sorry, I didn't mean. I. I didn't mean that as a criticism. I get it. I mean, like, hey, it. It, it happens to all of us. Yeah. yeah. No, I. I'll be honest. It came down to the wire. I think I finished it yesterday. So, but yes. Nice. Uh, hey everyone, and welcome back to Seat Forty One A Podcast, a podcast where three random MSCs. But I used to say random, but now we're pretty famous ever since Chris got recognized at the D Hits Conference. But it's where three embassies get together and talk about leadership-style books found on our Cord Trees reading list. My co-hosts with me today are... Greg Taylor, Baylor University. You guys okay? <laughs> it's funny because I just watched the Key and Peele episode. Oh, my God. Or our skit about that. Oh, my... I can't hold Jack it. Jack is that Terratrix. <laughs> Dashwana Kanaha. I don't know why that's so funny. That key and peel, uh, that key and peel skill is hilarious. The best. Uh, Christopher Foot, East Carolina University, and I'm Minoj Rima from the University of Georgia. Go dogs! <laughs> but anyways, so I'm going to turn it over to Chris to introduce our book and uh, give us a quick synopsis, and we'll go into discussions. So, episode six. Really hard to believe that we've been doing this now for six months. This is our sixth episode. So really, I I just want to say thanks to all the listeners. 
you know, without you guys, we we wouldn't have a podcast. I mean, maybe we would, and we'd have three listeners, and you know, just the three of us re-listening to what we already talked about. Yeah, and Greg's mom. Remember, Sorry, that's we right. have four. We got we would right. have four listeners. That's right. And so we do truly appreciate uh, you guys taking the time to to listen, tune into the podcast. I don't want to speak for some of the things that we have going on in the future, but I know we've got some good content coming down the pipeline. We've we've talked about some new and exciting things that we're looking at doing. So please stay tuned, uh, like us on Facebook, share us, tell your friends. Yeah, we're certainly, you know, as always, we love feedback. So please let us know what, where you think we're doing great and what you'd like to hear and what you'd like to have us talk about. All right, with that out of the way, I'd like to talk more about the book for this month. So this month, we're discussing Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader by uh, Herminia Ibarra. And really, I think we have a lot to talk about because this book was just packed full of excellent content. So grab a cold beverage of your choice, uh, maybe a snack, and let's take off. So the book is really made up into about five short chapters. Uh, The first one is the author discussing the outside principle. And the outside principle is really the author made this principle up. And so she sort of discusses that principle. I'm not going to go in depth into each one of these chapters, give a quick overview, uh, because I think we're going to take a lot of time discussing some of these and unpacking a lot of these ideas. So after that, she goes into what a lot of this means, what she's setting up. Uh, for how to act like a leader and think like a leader. And and there's three really key principles here, and that's redefine your job. And you do that in a way that will help you make more strategic decisions Uh, and then network across and out. So you do that by diversifying your network, by seeking connections beyond what's familiar to you. And then last is to be more playful with yourself. And so to become more playful with your your self-concept. And then the last section is managing the stepping up process. And then there's a a conclusion in in the book. And so with that, I think we'll just kind of get right into some of the content. And I think talking about some of the, the early concepts of the book. One thing that I'd like to talk about from from the beginning is the author shares a, a story about her early time as a professor at Gosh, I want to say it was Harvard, but she wasn't doing real great asking for feedback. And most of the feedback that she was getting was people telling her, well, just be yourself. And she felt like she was being herself. But then there was one person that gave her some feedback that was a lot different than what everyone else was was giving her. And this person basically just told her to, to mark her territory in the room, to own the room, to walk around the room, to mark all four corners of, of the room. And that that really kind of stuck with me. And, and although in our day-to-day jobs, we don't, we're not standing in front of students at, at Harvard and lecturing them and trying to, get, to engage students, we are trying to engage our coworkers, our teams, our leadership, our, our key stakeholders. And so I really had to stop and ask myself, am I getting to all four corners of my unit, either at the flight level or even to the organization as a, as a whole? And I think working in a support function, especially in IT, that's extremely important to get out there and to, to go to all four corners of the organization. And so, you know, Greg, I'd, I'd like to pose that question to you as well. Do you feel like you're getting to all four corners of the, your organization? I think the short answer to that is no. I could be doing better. So I'm not in an MTF right now, but I am, you know, in a small SG office. It's like 14 people. 
So amongst the 14, you know, spend a lot of time talking with people in different branches of medical, but I, I mean, I see the importance of, of what you're getting at. And I think it's really important to get into the functional areas that aren't my own, that I don't really know what they're doing, what they're talking about, because there are opportunities for, you know, idea generation. Oh, well, they're, they're using these tools or this method to solve their problem. I could maybe use a similar method myself, as well as, as just understanding, you know, what's important to other people and maybe realizing that your, your mountains from your view really aren't as big as they seem, especially in comparison to what other people might be going through. What I thought about when you were mentioning the, the four corners was my time when I was in RMO. I felt like budget, you know, is it is important to bring the financial and budget perspective to so many different conversations, even ones that aren't, you know, medical support or administration focused and really just listen to what different groups are talking about, like the executive or the medical staff, the e-coms meeting or sitting in on the diagnostics what's the dnt meeting yeah so listening in on those you know i I mean they're talking about what do we put on the formulary and you know are, are these things appropriate but just sitting in that room and listening to those conversations you can a let them know that you're interested definitely as a support function that you're you're somebody who has an interest in what's going on and is and is also accessible and available to answer questions and then you can also use those opportunities to kind of cut off a direction that people are thinking they might want to go, but violate some sort of of regulation or restriction that we have from like a financial sense. One thing I always remember from from that time in logistics and in RMO was if you're in the room while they're debating a decision, you know, you have a voice on the outcome of that decision. If you're waiting for your squadron commander or your supervisor to come out of that meeting and then tell you, hey, this is what we're going to go do. It's too late to voice objections. Now you have to execute. It's a lot harder to course correct after the decision makers already made their choice and they've left the room and like, all right, go do it. It's hard to go back uh, from that point. So yeah, I I strongly believe, uh, you know, Getting out there, and when you know your stuff, getting out there, and then and then speaking your mind and and raising your viewpoint uh, for other people to understand and apply it to the context of their work lives. Yeah, Greg. When talking about you have a voice, and by the time those meetings are had, and you're getting that information after the meeting, it, that door really has closed, and now we're in sort of an execution phase. And it's much harder to change the momentum at that point. Uh, how about how about you, Manoj? Do you feel like you're getting to all four corners of your organization? You, you'll offer definitely have a different perspective being at the MTF. Yeah, I hopefully do. And you know, our MTF is a lot smaller. So uh, Greg made a good point when he talked about the DNT meeting. You know, uh, the example of the formulary it was a good one and a recent example for me actually. You know, being an RMO, we talk about budget every day, every minute, and we looked at the budget the other day, and pharmacy has spent so much more money last month that we were utterly confused as to why. And and we found out, long story short, that DHA allowed a very long, extensive formulary list in Genesis that you can't change in the past where you could actually limit some of the stuff. Now you can't limit it. So our pharmacy has to fill what is prescribed no matter what. And so if I was 
actually at those meetings at that corner, oh yeah, now our pharmacy costs are going to go up. And I wouldn't have been so confused for two days going, why are our pharmacy uh, costs so high? And now I have to ask DHA for more money, which doesn't exist. So I really do enjoy getting to the four corners whenever I can, not to insert my voice per se, but to listen to see what other people have going on and see where I can help. Yeah, that really is a great point. And that really goes in line with with what the author says about being a bridge and that how the, the best leaders were working to be a bridge between your team and the the other areas of your, your organization or the environment in which you're working. And that really most of the time you should be spending is outside your team, being a bridge, connecting your team to those other parts of the organization. So that's, that is an excellent point and, and certainly one that the author brought up a, a few times. I will say it's being a bridge, but also being, for lack of a better analogy, a toll booth. I kind of wanted to say shield. But I try to shield my flight from some of the nonsense that could come across that bridge too. So bridging those gaps when it's in favor and it's a pro for both parties, but also being that shield and stopping the nonsense from coming into your flight sometimes. Yeah, I definitely think there's a gatekeeper aspect to a lot of what we do, especially at the MTF. One thing that really stuck out to me in the book was from the chapter, Be More Playful With Yourself, which really gets at how authenticity traps are when feel inauthentic in what we're doing but that's because we're trying to grow and evolve and one way to escape those authenticity traps is to experiment with new behaviors or new mindset uh, as a way to work on it and that really just lends itself well to the way that we conduct our careers as medical service corps officers where you know we're moving every 18 months 24 months to a new position or or to a new duty station and those are really opportunities that we could take to shed, you know, that old way, like, okay, I was doing this, this is how I was working with people. And I feel like I can do that better. I can hold better meetings. I can be more effective with my time. I can be more of an authentic leader in touch with my people and and really just adopt those new behaviors. It's a clean break moving to a, a new assignment and, and you can really reinvent yourself Chris, were there any techniques or any any ways in which you felt like maybe you reinvented yourself taking your new role that you have right now? Yeah, absolutely. And part of me can't help but wonder like how intentional it was to put this book on the reading list. Like it just felt like it was a very intentional act because of some of these concepts seem very very unique to things that are very present in our culture and our organization. This one in particular, there's usually a, a phase leading up to a new assignment where you're really sort of excited about the assignment, but then you're really kind of starting to think about, okay, what are the things that I'm going to do? What really worked well for me previously and what didn't work so well? And and you start to kind of think about how you're going to step into that role you know, on day one and just kind of present yourself as a leader. You know, but that also really plays on another important concept that the author brought up, which was, you know, what got you here isn't going to work in your new role. And I've, I've heard that before. I don't think that that was a concept that was unique to her, but I do think that that's important to bring up, especially as we're talking about reinventing yourself. I know I do it. I tend to lean on the things that I've done really well in previous jobs. I was really good at this. I was 
I was given feedback and said, okay, you, you did really well with this. And so I lean on that and I tend to focus on those areas. And then the, the author said, you know, we'll fall into competency traps, right? We'll do the things that we're good at because it makes us feel good and we enjoy it and we get better at them. And then we do them more. It ends up being a disservice to ourselves. We, we wind up not growing because we're staying in that sort of infinite loop of comfort and doing what we think we're good at rather than stepping outside of that. And I know that's not really reinventing yourself, but I, I think that those two things really are important because in order to reinvent yourself, you do have to step outside of those things that you were previously doing. So yeah, I definitely found myself in this new role doing a lot of things that I used to do and quickly realizing those weren't going to work in a medical center and having to adjust fire, so to speak. Yeah, Chris, that takes me to the part of the book that I really liked actually when she talks about sports coaches tell us that our that amateur golfers spend too much time practicing their best swings at the expense of the aspects of their game that need work. And I definitely have fallen into that trap. Like, hey, I'm gonna I did this really well. Or I did it okay, and I'm going to keep getting better at that. And then I do it really well, and I'm like, you know what? I could probably do it again and get better at it again. And I, don't, and I avoid the things that I need worked on. And whether I like it or not, I think I'm falling into some of those areas where I'm not good at by accident right now. Because I'm, I'm dealing with stuff at work where I've never actually had to deal with before. And it's, it's scary, but it's helping me grow into a more well-rounded leader. And I have to keep reminding myself of that. I, I'm in these situations to learn from them. I'm not in these situations just to suffer from them. And so she talks about that part and talks about the differences between managers and leaders. And it's very fortuitous that I mentioned that because we literally just talked about it at our CGOC meeting uh, two days ago. Managers really work on finishing projects or tasks and follow procedures and processes. Yet leaders, leadership calls us to work outside those lines to create change. So balancing that has been interesting because as flight commanders, I definitely see myself as a manager. But I think some of the examples in the book, she talked about managers are usually in the weeds, completing the work and not leading their people to actually complete the work. So reminding myself of that was definitely hit home with me to go, yeah, I need to take a step back and make sure I'm not doing the small things and letting make sure I'm empowering my people. Is that is that why the golf uh, golf analogy is that why I always want to step up to the tee and just just hit like five iron the entire time? It's like no driver, the driver's going to go slice uh, nine times out of ten. So I'll just hit irons the whole way. You you hit a three wood pretty well too. I, I remember you hit your three wood pretty well. Yeah, that's true. You did. You did. <laughs> Pro, pro tip for, for the audience out there. If you ever go golfing with Minoj and he starts to get frustrated at one of his clubs, just <laughs> offer to buy it from him right there. You know, like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks for that cup. It's like, I just want it out of my bag. It's a good investment. Buy things off me when I'm angry. You'll get them very cheap. Stupid three wood. I don't know why I bought it anyway. <laughs> I hate Yeah, I hated that club. At least it's working for somebody. It's okay. Yeah, you're you're happier not having have it. Yes, not win win it. win yeah. win situation there. And I I enjoyed that club as well. It's a good club. <laughs> so Chris, you'd uh, you'd mentioned networking earlier. Were there any thoughts that you had about what you gained in knowledge from the talk about networking in the book? Yeah, Greg, that's a great question. I'm I'm glad you asked that. 
I spent a lot of time reflecting about the networking portion in particular. This is for me something that I've tried to do throughout my career, even before the military. So I, I spent several years working in the civilian sector before I joined the Air Force. And we're, we're always told that, right, network, network, network. And, and that's super important for what we do as MSCs. And we network, I think, MSCs network really well with each other. But there were a lot of really great points in the book that the author made that really kind of made me think about the quality of my current network, the depth of the connections that I have, and really what is the overall strategic purpose of my network? And that was really one of the questions that I was going to kind of pose to you guys. And is your network strategic and intentional? I, I don't really feel that my network is strategic and intentional. I think in some ways it is. I feel like I kind of, you know, maybe my networking is is more of a roller coaster. It's kind of peaks and valleys. Generally, I think that the quality of my network, I think could improve. I think I could do more to network outside of our MSC and our Air Force bubble. So for me, some things that I've done to try to improve that, at least more recently, even before reading the book, I created a personal website. I feel like this podcast, even though it is has been somewhat MSC focused, I feel like this is a bit of a networking opportunity. I'm I'm trying to work on a personal brand, right? Trying to think well beyond the Air Force and what I do as a healthcare administrator and thinking more as an IT professional and especially in cybersecurity. And I've been trying to really dig deeper into IT and cybersecurity in the, in the world of cybersecurity. Her point to some of the networking, though, is that a lot of the resistance that we give ourselves in networking is like, we feel like we're it's, it's a selfish activity. Oh my gosh, isn't that just selfish? Isn't it self-serving? And while I think it is somewhat, it also benefits the organization. The more that we network outside of our bubble, the more ideas and information we can bring into that bubble. I mean, if we're only networking with the same 100 people, then we, we hit this limit where those 100 people have shared and exchanged all the same ideas, and there's no new information that, that will be inserted into that network. Uh, so I, I think those points were really, really very important. And I think as a whole, I think MSCs could all do better, Air Force officers, I think we could all do better to broaden that network beyond the Air Force. So sorry, that's a, a very long way to answer that question, Greg, but I, I, would, I would have to ask you guys, you know, how, how would you rate the quality of your guys' networks right now? Is your network strategic? Is it intentional? Is it broad? Do you have a broad network outside of MSCs in the Air Force? And where do you think maybe you can improve it? And that's kind of a few questions. So just feel free to answer whichever one you feel you can answer best. Yeah, I'd probably argue that MSCs are probably one of the more broader network. We can do six to seven different types of jobs. And then in the military, we PCS so much that you bring those other ideas and those other networks. Like I have a web of network that I'm using right now. But then I leave, the next MSC comes in, they're going to have a broad, uh, diverse, hopefully, network. So I, I agree with that point 100%. I think MSCs network really well amongst MSCs. So I guess I'll give a applaud to DHA on this aspect of this market aspect they're bringing. It's allowed me to actually talk with our Fort Sill counterparts. They're, they're our market lead. Why would I call an army base for any help? There's Shepard, there's Vance, there's Tinker all around us that are close by. There's no reason for me to call an army base to figure out things. But DHA has now put them in our market and they're our lead. So I reach out to them and I know my resource management counterpart there who I lean on for various taskers and various things that are DHA driven. 
So that's allowed me to actually branch out and expand that network to it. Yes, I'll be at another MSC, but Army MSC, who is for all intents and purposes, very different than Air Force MSCs. So that's been very beneficial. And I think it's worked both ways because I've been able to lead on her on very specific resource management things. But then I think she's very shocked that I have this knowledge of not just resource management, but also TOPA, GPM, and readiness and all these different aspects of our job. For me personally, I do have a lot of a lot of friends that are doctors in the military that I can reach out to. Uh, just a few months ago, I used my pharmacy contact. There was a pharmacy thing we were having an issue with. So I reached out to a friend who used to do pharmacy things at Lake and Heath. And I had, hey, how do you guys do this? And is this the right way to do it? And he helped me out. So Personally speaking, I, I love having that network to lean on, not just MSC-wise, but if I come across a problem, even if it's not my problem, it's a pharmacy problem or a lab problem or a family health problem, I know someone I could possibly reach out to see how they solve that issue and implement it here. Both of you, I think both had really good examples of you know opportunities that you've taken or opportunities that are out there for the taking. One thing that I, I would point out, at least you know, from the framework in the book, pretty much every example that you mentioned were ways to build depth in your operational network. And that's it. You are still all within that one lane. It's how do I do my job better? How do I get better at what I'm doing currently? And I think the author pointed it out for most of the professionals that she works with, and it's definitely something that rings true for us. You know, that strategic network is where do I want to be in the next step? Or where do I want to be a couple steps from now? And we just collectively, I feel, don't do a lot of time thinking about that until you're about to separate or retire. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, what are my opportunities? What do I want to do? Who do I know? And maybe you're going off and doing the same thing that you were doing before, but that's where we really take the biggest leap into just the unknown of what we're doing. And so, Chris, I agree with you that you know, we spend a lot of time networking amongst our MSCs, our, our MSC brethren. But I would say we, you know, we're, we're good at finding out who we need to work with in order to be effective at our jobs. And we find those people, and then we we seek them out, befriend them, because that's a lesson you learn as a lieutenant, right? Is I can't do it on my own. I'm not an island. And you're going to be working till eight, nine o'clock at night, every night, if you're trying to do it by yourself and just figure things out all by yourself. And, and that's not a, those aren't sustainable behaviors, right? So we, I think we figure out pretty quickly, like that we need to lean on other people and lean on other people's experience and what they, what they did and what works for them and, and then adopt those practices and, and plagiarize mercilessly. And those are all good things. Those are, that's all good networking to do, but we really just do not invest in that strategic network at all, in my opinion. So Greg, do you think that going to conferences outside of military conferences, because right, you have things like D-HITS that are military specific, but then you have conferences like DEF CON, which are just wide open to the public and there's tons of cybersecurity related ones. So what about conferences like HIMSS or ACHE, I feel like those are sort of building both the operational and the strategic network because there are so many civilian partners that go to those that you'll have the opportunity one to not only see your military healthcare administrators, but also you'll have the opportunity to network some of the civilians. What, what are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, I agree. Those are opportunities to deepen your operational network, but also grow that strategic network as well. I, I think the the key difference there is your intentions or the intentionality of what of what you're doing. Again, if you're going into it, Chris, you've been a couple months in now in working your systems job. And so if you go to Hims or you go to DEFCON and you're like, hey, who can I meet that'll make me a more awesome IT or cybersecurity expert? You're in the operational world. You know, if you're through your own self-discovery and your own goal setting and whatnot, you're like, hey, you know, five, six years from now, I want to be an entrepreneur. Right. I want to own my own business. And, you know, so then I'm going to this conference and I'm like, who is an entrepreneur who's achieving, you know, some moderate success now that I can develop a relationship with now to grow and cultivate over the next five years that'll help me get to where I want to be at that point? Then you're talking about things in the strategic realm. Yes, Greg, those are all great points. And I, I would agree with you 100%. I think that we don't do a great job on the strategic networking, at least we could all do maybe a, a little bit of a better job. I feel like we don't really start thinking about that till we're starting to get closer to our military career being in its sunset years and starting to think, gee, what is my next, right? Because right now, like I've got enough years left that I don't feel the pressure to have to start thinking about what is my next chapter. I feel like there's a broad array of things that I might be interested in doing, but I'm not aggressively building a network for any one of those. I might be building one more than others, but it's not aggressive and it's certainly not overly intentional. It's slightly intentional, but it's not overly intentional. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And I don't know what kind of network I want to build right now for the future either, because I don't know if I want to keep doing this. I mean, I might, I might want to keep doing healthcare minister things. It fits and I've been doing it forever, but I could go back to public health where my degree falls and or uh, revisit my original dream of majoring in music and do something in music, but I have no idea. So I'm trying to keep, you know, those, some of those networks open where I know there'll be long-term gains and I can maybe reach back to, but at the end of the day, I, I really don't know what I want to do afterwards yet. I feel like this is a good point to mention your, the fact that you've already had what I consider a very successful music career. You've played with the Cambridge Symphony Orchestra. This is and true. you have played with one of my favorite jazz artists, yeah. Dave Brubeck. Yeah. I mean, that... That was pretty cool. That's impressive. Yeah. You know, music career, acting career as extras in a lot of TV shows. You know, Vampire Diaries, season four, episode two. I'm in there in the background somewhere. It's a life well lived. When opportunities present themselves, you know, you're you're trying to take advantage of those. You know, there was a, an opening and you jumped in. Yellow. And that's admirable. One little tip, because it's been something that I've been working on. It's a, a, a personal goal that I set for myself recently is I want to be more active in the management of my network. And it gets to some of the the concerns that we raised here. So the goal I set for myself is to once a week reach out to at least one external person and one internal, just a check-in or whatever. I came up with a few kind of like templated email messages to go with it that all kind of revolve around the same kind of idea of, hey, it's been a while since we talked, you know, some sort of follow-up on something personal that I know or some shared experience or whatever. And then just kind of like a non-threatening, I'm not asking for anything, but just, you know, if you've got 
the time I'd like to hear how things are going for you. And that's it. You know, so I'm defining internal and external as somebody who's not in the military currently. And so sending somebody, I mean, they may be like retired or separated military or whatever, but somebody that's outside and then and each week uh, I'm sending someone. And I came up with those templated messages as a way to just make, you know, going back to James Clear and building sustainable habits, right? Or building atomic habits is to make it as frictionless as possible as I have a couple templates and I just have to throw in a name and an anecdote and, you know, a little bit of personalization to it. And then I can hit send. I don't have to sit there and think at looking at a blink email box and say like, oh, well, what am I going to say to this person? It's like, hey, it's been a while. Just thought I'd reach out. Your your name popped in my mind and, and I, I hope you're doing well. You know, something as simple as that. And that's been working for me pretty well. I've been doing that for like the last month or so. And yeah, I, my results are, it's about 66%, you know, two thirds of the folks that uh, I've messaged have messaged me back and that, that's that been kind of nice. And so it's just something I'm working on uh, as a way to keep those things alive. It's more than just knowing somebody, right? You, you have to like sustain at least a minimum level of a relationship, a trickle charge, if you will, to keep that going. I like that idea, Greg. I think that that's important as well. And especially as you get further along in your career, the folks that you met very early in your career, you tend to lose lose touch with. So I, I, I like that. You'll have to keep us posted on on the results and how it pans out for you. I don't know that I'm going to like track metrics like over <laughs> like longitudinally. <laughs> it just, because I've only been doing it for three or four weeks and it's something that it was a goal that I set with a coach that I'm working with right now. So it's something that I, I'm, keeping note of now, just from like an accountability standpoint to make sure that I'm following through with it until I can kind of stick to it as a habit. And then I'll probably stop tracking so closely, like whether people respond or not, because the goal, the objective isn't a response. That's not winning. The habit is sending the message. Even even if they don't respond, it's like, oh yeah, Greg Taylor. Yeah. I remember that guy. I can't stand him. I hope I never run into him again, but at least I'm in their mind. Time for unpopular opinion. Okay, so so I I gave kind of a weak, unpopular opinion last time, so I'm going to try to make up for it this time. And my unpopular opinion is that I don't think the commissary is as great as it's as it's normally sold to be. I get it. It's there's more. It's more that it's convenient than it is that it's like actually like if you picked it up and you put it outside a military installation, you're not going there. You're not. You're not going there. You go there because we're a captive audience. We don't pay the tax. Like the price and the quality that you're getting are no, like I'm not getting better quality items at a lower price. And the prices now, they're very comparable. Yeah. as As the closest person to retirement, I feel very triggered by this comment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just say Kiesler. Okay. It is. If if you can, you want to move down here, you, there's plenty of retirees here that utilize the services. And, and I think that's great, right? That's fantastic. Honestly, I, I haven't really found if any of the listeners here are from Kiesler or the Kiesler area, please let me know what your favorite supermarkets are in the area. Aldi just opened up in Ocean Springs, but outside of that, I haven't really found anything that's great. But the whole experience, like, why can't they pay their baggers? Please. Why do I have to pay the baggers? Or why do we even need baggers in the first place? 
Like, can yeah. I just bring my own bags and bag my own stuff? Like, I think Aldi actually does. I don't think they actually yeah. have bags. You got to bring your own. No, bags. they don't. You bring your own yeah. and you bag your own stuff. They they bring it right back into the cart and you go and you bag your own stuff. And that's fine. Yeah. I'm totally okay with that. I have no yeah. problem doing that. I have no problem bagging my stuff in a plastic bag. I don't, it, if that's what you're going to do. I mean, we, we try to bring reusable bags, the little habit that we picked up living overseas, but I don't understand that. Why don't they pay their baggers? So I like the bagging for tips as a fundraiser. Fantastic that, idea. That works well as, uh, you know, because I've seen that in the past, you know, where where a squadron comes in and their their booster club does one afternoon of bagging to raise, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever for their booster club. But and now is like that, that taking idea. gainful employment away from the folks that are trying to do that regularly? It is. So I, I'm I'm with you about the the bagging. And sometimes I chalk it up to, you know, we just naturally now, maybe because of our technological world, we just have an aversion to human interaction. So we go to the self-checkout. I've always had that. <laughs> yes, you, you have always had that. <laughs> but the spoken like a true IT expert. Yeah. But in some way, you know, it's like, oh, I don't have any small bills. So I will wait in this 20-person self-checkout line. Instead of going to the no waiting, like three registers that are open. But Greg, we're shopping for five people. We have a big full cart. No, I, I understand. That's a lot so, of work. So here's my here's my counterpoint. And maybe I I'm I'm only in partial agreement. Wait, now hold on. Before you do your counterpoint, remember they're taking away little Debbie snacks. Those are going away. That that really doesn't change anything for me. I'm just saying. But, but I feel I feel for you. I'm I'm concerned. All right, let's hear the counterpoint. Right. So I do agree with you about the baggers, right? And I know you and I talked about this earlier. We both read it on Reddit, but we need to start a grassroots movement to go to the checkout and then just say, no, I'll bag my own groceries. Thank you. And just take their job from them. But that aside, you mentioned convenience. I agree with you that there's a convenience factor that is, you know, because you don't have to go out the gate and then come back on the gate, especially if you live on base or the commissary is within walking distance from base housing, then you can just walk over to the commissary. Maybe not if you're buying for a family of five, but it is definitely convenient. They are accommodating as well to working Military folks going to the commissary during the duty day, especially like at the lunchtime, you get, you know, the express military line. I don't think you'd see that anywhere else just as a, as an added feature. But I think the strongest point for why the commissary does have value is definitely at overseas locations. And this is for the same reason as AFIs is when we were all in England, we did the majority of our shopping. I'd say 75% of our shopping we did at Sainsbury's or Tesco because their produce was fresher, the prices were often better. But what the commissary had was it had familiar brands and things that Americans eat that Brits don't. You know, like the American section of the British grocery store was like Lucky Charms, Oreos, and Doritos. It's like those are all, you know, fun things, but you know, there's there's more to it than that. Like you know, a quality peanut butter, as an example. When we were in England, the only place you could get decent peanut butter was at the commissary. Yeah, those are all fair points, especially overseas. I'll agree with you. I'll definitely agree with you there. The military express line, I don't know. I'm not really sold on that. 
I will say you, not all bases have that either, because I think we have this express line when we go up to the deli counter to get sandwiches, but not the checkout here at Altus. But yeah, it just says like there's just signs that say military in uniform have priority between certain hours. And honestly, if if that has to be your policy, one, if it's during the duty day, everybody's going to like the majority of people are going to be in uniform. So is it really that much of a convenience? And two, if you have to have a policy that states you need to be more efficient, then maybe you really ought to look at your processes. Like maybe there's something more there. Like if if people are waiting that long that they need an express line, maybe your processes are broken. I don't know. I don't, like I get it. It's a, it's a nice gesture. And I understand that. I'm not picking that apart. I don't, it just seems funny to me that like on a military installation that everybody in uniform gets priority. Well, okay. We're, we're all in uniform during the duty day, during lunch hours, with the exception of retirees. And civilians and contractors. Yeah. And dependents. Yes. Okay. All right. It's not everybody. <laughs> Those people know not to go to the commissary between 11 and 1. That's it. My wife knows she is not going there. She's not doing our food shopping during those times. She knows that. Full disclosure, I think I'm just feeling a little spoiled coming from Texas and having access to H-E-B right outside my house. Best and I miss H-E-B. Ever. Thank you. Yes. All right. Getting a lot yes. of this is where yes. you insert can... applause. Yes. I completely I understand. Standing ovations. And I love H-E-B I... is king. Yes, it is. I just thought of another reason to keep the commissary around. Now that we have left overseas, Manoj, being a Korea veteran, where are you going to get red bean paste? If you wanted uh, red, be- red bean paste. Probably the commissary. There's there's not going to yeah. be kind of an Altus. <laughs> yeah. Decent German mustard or things from the overseas locations. You know, they usually have a, a good international section. That's another area that I frequent often. There's a German coffee that they only sell at the commissary here in the U.S. that I just go and I, I'll just buy like three pounds at a time and stock up. Ours has a Julio's tortilla chips. That's the stuff my right wife's there. favorite. And they're my favorite now too. And I can't get them anywhere else besides the commissary. You know, you know that they make those in Del Rio, right? Oh, really? Yes. They <laughs> make those I'm- in Del Rio. Doesn't mean I'm PCSing there. No. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. He loves Julio's corn chips. He wants to go and see them. Actually, they so they have a little restaurant attached to their factory. It's not far from the base, and they make amazing breakfast tacos. Mm, breakfast tacos. He's sold. You heard it here. AFPC, send him. To- you can. I'm cutting that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so, Manoj, what are we reading next? So I'm actually going off the core chiefs list for a second. Just, just hear me out for a second. But I'm keeping in the realm of military health and going with the book off Dr. Lyon, DHA assistant director, his reading list. And it's called Patients Come Second, Leading Change by Changing the Way You Lead by Paul Spiegelman. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Paul Spiegelman and Britt Barrett. Looks like a short read, not too bad, but it definitely caught my ear when he mentioned it at the MTF Leadership Conference I was at a few weeks ago. So thanks for joining us for episode six. From all of us here to all of you there, have a great evening. C41A is an independent company and produced by C41A Media. Digital media support and creative director, Manoj Rima, marketing and IT, Christopher Foote, and director and outreach, Greg Taylor.